The topic that I'm going to address today is being rooted in Christ. Um, so many times we often have our own language as Christians. And if anybody ever had to drop in from having no church exposure, or certainly particularly not our strand, um, into one of our church services, they wouldn't have a clue what we were talking about. Um, so I want to really be very clear and speak very plainly today about being rooted um, in Christ and what that means and why the Bible refers to that and specifically uses that terminology. Um, I am not going to go into things like um, do a horticultural exposition and explanation around roots and fibers of roots and bowls and potting and replanting and seasons and things like that, much to some people's disappointment, I'm sure. But if you want that, Mike is actually an excellent person to discuss that with you. I'm really trying to stay very focused on what the Bible says and using the, 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 the line that the Bible takes. So I'm going to really be very focused on that this morning. Um, one of the things that I've read, there's a little book by A.W. Tozer called The Roots of the Righteous. It was an absolute staple for me when I was growing up. Um, and um, he, he says this comment in there, which I think is one of the truest things ever said. He said over here, One marked difference between the faith of our fathers as conceived by the fathers and the same faith as understood and lived by their children is that the fathers were concerned with the root of the matter, while their present-day descendants or children seem concerned only with the fruit. And I think that that is a phenomenally astute observation, that in today's world, we seem to be very consume, consumed with the, the events or the happenings. You only have to look at many of the, the sort of the church movements that are going around at the moment. It is all about the glamour or the demonstration of faith and in, 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 in fruit and everything else like that. And so today, if we look scripturally, we find actually that the Bible teaches quite the opposite of that thinking. It teaches very much that the fundamental place we need to start, the most basic place we need to start, is being founded or being rooted in Christ. Now, in the Old and New Testament, you do get this concept of rooting does occur. In the Old Testament, it tends to be related to genealogy, the root of Jesse. In other words, what it means is that it's what the Old Testament would have been concerned with was a planting, something that was godly that had been planted, and from that came many different things. So you find Jesus is referred to, or David is referred to, as the root of Jesse. It's the godly line that sort of goes through. The other aspect the Old Testament focuses on is the whole concept of planted. And you see that in Psalm 1 in particular, where it talks about that a person who is, is um, uh, the blessed man is the one who's planted by streams of water and his roots, he's, he's, the leaves never wither and he always bears his fruit in season, etc. Now when we come to the New Testament, it's expanded quite dramatically. It's, it's something which is elaborated on um, a lot. Um, and it moves very much from being about the person or the genealogy to being very much involved only with Christ. It becomes actually completely Christ-centered. There's no comment now about the roots of genealogy. It becomes our only and sole rooting must be in Christ himself, which is the shift between the two, two testaments. 
Toza's comment that he makes, um, that I refer to over there, he really is referring to two key scriptures that he, that he bases that, that block on. The first one is in Proverbs, and the second is in Ephesians. Don't turn there, but if you make a note, Proverbs 12 verse 3 and Proverbs 12 verse 12 is, 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 is the first part of that. And what he refers to there is, and to quote 12 verse 3, a man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. And verse 12 says, the wicked desires net many evils, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. And so from those two, you can see that the, the order that's established there is that the roots are there, A, to enable us not to be moved, and B, the roots are there to produce fruit. Paul then elaborates on this, and you can turn into your Bibles here to Ephesians 3.14. So Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And here's the key verse, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, not alone, but with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Always, I love the wording in Scripture. He talks in Ephesians 3.17 there about being rooted and grounded. And in a way that almost seems like a repeat. But again, if one goes into the Greek on that, the word rooted there means to become stable or secure. In other words, that which holds you steady. To the word grounded there means to consolidate having foundations in place upon which you can build. So everything that we are looking at in today's world is actually in complete contrast to that. We can't rely on the banks anymore. We can't rely on the House of Lords anymore. Unless you've got a lot of money and then they become quite reliable. Um, the, um, we can't rely on, on institutions, on anything, really, at the end of the day. Yet God is saying that the one thing we need to be stable in, and not only stable in, but being um, consolidated and having a foundation so secure that we can build things on, is Christ. And that is why um, this is probably one of the most significant foundational doctrines that we need to have in place in our lives. Um, A second implication that's around there is that if we are not stable, we become what um, James describes as being tossed to and fro. And I have to say that it's one of the things that we see more and more in in, in every aspect, not only within our church but around, is that a lot of people get very 
sure about what they believe, why they believe. Marriages get tossed to and fro. Relationships get tossed to and fro. And again, the Bible is saying, no, we will not be tossed to and fro if we are rooted, stable within Christ himself. A branch on a tree that is ripped off can fall on the ground and can actually, because of enough life within it, actually flower. It can even sort of bring forth some form of fruit in terms of it. But it won't last at the end of the day. And that is the third aspect that's very, very important over here, is that true fruit can't come unless it is rooted, or or rather that, that it is grounded firmly within the main root. You can have little flourishes of it all around you, but you can only come, lasting, repeatable fruit will only come if it is linked to the main root of the tree. Jesus, one of the things that, I, that Jesus refers to in that casting of the seed on the ground is about the fact that what fruit will it bear? And you know which one? The sower goes out and he throws out and it falls on different types of ground and coming in. The, the heart of that is saying, without proper roots, no matter what flowers won't endure. It's the roots that matter at the end of the day. So let's look now at the whole concept of of being rooted. And again, if you could come or or turn to Colossians 2 verse 6. It's just after Ephesians. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And I'm just going to expand on that um, scripture in a couple of ways. There are five points that I really want to just cover off around that being rooted and built up in Christ. The first Area We need to be rooted and established and stable and foundationally consolidated in is that we have to be what I would call truly converted, truly grafted in. Our conversion experience is the most pivotal hinge on which everything in your Christian life will turn. If your conversion experience has had any weaknesses or has not been theologically or doctrinally correct, if there's been any issue of experience that's hovered around that, you will find that you will live out an incomplete understanding of your salvation. And I I always use myself as a reference in that I grew up in one of the biggest faith movements that happened within South Africa. It was a transforming um, time in, in the country, it was the start for, in South Africa of the mega church in many ways. The church that I went to originally ended up with nearly 10,000 people, 15,000 people. It was absolutely enormous. And I became a Christian very much through that because I understood very clearly the doctrine that was being taught about the benefits of Christ. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus saved me. There was no, clear, uh, there was no doubt on that. But I never grasped at the beginning of my conversion about the issue of my own personal sin. And as a result is that as I went along, you know, when you start maturing and growing in Christ, 
suddenly start realizing there were things in my life that were just not changing. And the reason was very simple. I hadn't repented. Sure, I'd said sorry, but I hadn't had a true understanding of what was my actual state before God. I still was filled with a degree, a considerable degree of self-righteousness and self-opinion and self-sufficiency. It was only when I realized that was the point that I actually got on my knees and I said, God, I repent. I'm sorry as a sinner that a whole new area of maturity happened in my life. Because up until that point, I was consumed with what were the benefits of God, and that's a good thing, but I had not realized the need for holiness in my life. I had not come to understand the need for righteousness. And as a result, I did everything in my own strength. Until I am truly converted, until I come to a point of realizing that my dependency has to be 100% on Christ for everything, I will never ever walk in a complete walk with God. And this is not a a, a navel-gazing type exercise, but I really do feel that one needs to examine what you were brought into. Because so much of what we were brought into, and it's not because the church I was in was particularly trying to deceive me. They weren't. They were very convinced of the truth that they had. But the greatest truth is this, that Christ alone can save you. You cannot save yourself. And until you confront him in his holy glory, in your repugnant sinful state, and get on your knees and say, God, I need you. Because I cannot do tomorrow without you. Until you have that forgiveness that comes through from Christ, until you experience the love that comes through that, you will walk as if you are in a wheelchair or handicapped because you will continually be going, I can do it myself. It is an absolute foundational root that needs to be there. There was a whole teaching that happened in counter to that movement on the cross. And that is the heart of this. I think it went again to the other extreme. In Christianity, we tend to specialize in going to poles, you know. (laughs) We go to extremes all the time. But the truth of the matter is, until we come to the cross and realize our salvation, we are nowhere. And that is the starting point of all things, is who who am I with Christ and my conversion that happens with that. Interestingly, Jesus never made it easy to follow him. The churches try to make it easy for people to be converted or to change. We run evangelical programs. But Jesus never, ever made it easy. In fact, he did the opposite. The analogy that always struck me so much is of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He answers Jesus perfectly. He clearly is a man of integrity. He's young. He is the perfect poster child for the church. He's better looking than Kubus Vasaki. Okay? He's more muscular than Kubus. He's richer than Paul. <laughs> He's, he is the poster child of everything that you would want. And you can imagine every church in the world going, Hallelujah, this guy, if we can convert him, if we have him on our team, just think. The finances will open the doors. The ministry, he he will open a door into the businessman of the world. He was a rich young ruler. And he has everything. And he even has a humble attitude. He comes and says, Master. And what does Jesus say to him? The Bible says Jesus perceived there was one area that he needed to let go of. And that area was, sell all you have and follow me. 
And it says the man left distraught because he was very rich. And Jesus goes on to do a teaching on the rich. But the point is this. Jesus was not about making converts. He was about making disciples. And we often are convert-orientated. We are not disciple-orientated. To come to Christ is a big thing. It is a surrendering of all things. And sometimes one does need to take stock of yourself and say, you know what, I'm not really being a disciple today. And repent. The second thing which is really important is we exist only to be in Christ. So once we are converted, we then need to know that our existence is dependent on Jesus. And you don't have to turn there, but very well-known scripture. John 15, verse 1, or John 15 from there. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every one that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bring forth more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. One of the reasons Toza's words are so true is that everything we often do today in our own lives or in institutions or in churches, whatever, is we try and do everything we can without Christ. It's programs, it's Bible studies, it's everything. But without Christ, they are nothing. They will flourish and look good and tick lots of boxes, but actually they will achieve ultimately nothing because they are not in Jesus I love the word abide. There's actually a wonderful um, hymn about abiding me. But abiding that's used here means staying in in the same place. Being still before dwelling. How much does Christ dwell within us? How much does Christ dwell within our marriages, within our children's upbringing, at work? How many of us can say honestly that Christ is at work with us? Because that's what he's asking. He's asking that we abide, that he be allowed to dwell with us. And that is so critical in terms of us staying rooted in him. Because without him, we can achieve nothing. Time, giving time to Christ. Prayer, reading the Bible, listening to the Holy Spirit being active part of his community, hanging out with a bunch of grapes on the vine, listening to those you know can hear God, being obedient to direction that's given to you, accepting discipline from him and from others, and character development, stopping sinning, stopping gossiping, stop preferring your own stuff, and growing up. Drawing from him and the Holy Spirit first, rather than running around to hear whatever tape or internet or personal prophecy you can get. 
That is abiding in him. What I'm not talking about is not legalism. It is just fundamental basics. But we, what we need to have right in our lives if we are to stay rooted and founded in him. We need to stop singing the song. You know the song, it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. Um, I sometimes tease and say, it's all about me. It's all about me, Jesus. We have to stop doing that. We have to stop saying it's all about us. Jesus is the true vine. We are grafted in. You see that as the prerequisite for fruit. Jesus alone releases fruit in your life, not you. Not any doctrine, not any teaching, not Anthony or Helen, not me, not Glenn, not anybody will release fruit in your life. The only person who will release fruit in life is Jesus. And that's why you have to be rooted in him. I want to emphasize a point further here as well. Ant referred to last week to the, to, to the wonderful block of scripture that, that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, which is all about the body, that the body works and can the hand say to the, to the toe or the mouth say to the eye or whatever, the body working together. Now, that block of scripture in, in chapter 12 starts off with a whole exposition on gifting. And one of the understandings people have tended to take this, and this is very inherent in our doctrine, is that we find our identity in the body of Christ through our gifting. Now, there is a truth in that, obviously. I wouldn't be standing up today, or Ant wouldn't be leading, or whoever wouldn't be doing things if we weren't operating in our gifting within the body. But it misses what Paul is actually teaching there. What Paul is actually teaching is he saying, yes, gifting is there and we need to understand it. But when he describes the body and the eye and the part, if you look at the language with that, he's actually referring to the individual. We make up a body or a congregation based on our character and on our personality. The gifting comes second. When we find our place, when you find your place in a body where you know that your character and your personality is functioning and accepted, then gifting will be released that you can be the best that you are. But if you put the gifting first, you fall into the trap of the modern age, which is fruit before root. Your identity in this body is not dependent on what you can do. It is dependent on who you are in Christ. I'm not standing before you today because of my teaching gift. I want to say that. I'm standing here today because to some extent I've grafted my character and identity and my family into this body. That's not a reward. That's simply fruit that is evidenced. My personality and character is what is part of Forest Town. That is why it's a very difficult thing when people leave or come in, because it is part of the body that you're becoming. No one is bringing to the church gifting. Jesus gives gifting. The Holy Spirit releases gifting. 
If you want to know and be grafted and rooted in, you have to bring yourself. And if you withhold yourself from the body, you will never see a release of your gifting or your service to the body. That is the godly order. And that is why Paul teaches this in chapter 12 and then goes on in chapter 13 to talk about what? Love. He says, gifting, right, you got gifting, great. Get into the body. Identify where you belong in the body. Get comfortable in the body based on your character and your personality. Now that you've got that right, you know the order. Now I will teach you a more excellent way. And he goes into love. Which brings me to my third point. The primacy of love in being rooted in Christ. 1 John says God is love. He is motivated by love in all he does. It is an essential area to to root yourself in. If you doubt in any way that God loves you, you will continually come against an area of, 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 of weakness within your life. The love of Christ has to consume you in all you do. Ephesians, that block of Ephesians I read, what did it say we are rooted and rounded in? Love. And when we understand the love of Christ, we then are rooted and grounded and able to comprehend partly the love that Jesus has for us. The Bible is fulfilled in two sentences, or in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the heart of the gospel. It is the motive of God. It was the motive of Jesus. And it needs to become our motive. It has to become our motive. The other thing on this, which is so important, is that you cannot generate love yourself. The Greeks had three words for love. Eros, which is sexual love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. And the third is agape, which is the love of God. You can do the first two. You can phileo each other. I phileoed Gomez too hard this morning and he complained. (laughs) I have to remember my phileo needs to be a little less robust. (laughs) And so I will agape him by promising not to hug him like that ever again. (laughs) You cannot... Love without God. We can do to a certain extent, but if you truly want to understand the love of Christ in your life, you must realize that you cannot do it in your own strength. The love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. It is not shed abroad by my reading manuals, books, internet, meditation, whatever way I did, correct upbringing, bad upbringing, whatever it is, I will never love as Christ's love, unless I am rooted in him and I learn at his feet and I allow the Holy Spirit to change me. That's where it is. And it is the primacy. Our whole gospel hinges on it. Our whole gospel hinges on it. It is the motivation of God and it must become our motivation. It's not a preference or a choice. It's a conviction. It is actually moral and you know how you can overcome sin 
There are practical things to do. If you have an issue with sin in your life, there are practical things you can do. You can switch off the TV at a certain time. You can you know, institute this rule and that rule and do various things which are good and healthy sometimes to do. You can be disciplined in a whole lot of areas. But if you really want to overcome sin, the key to it is to love God more than the sin. That is the key to it. When you love God more than the sin, you do not sin. You stop. I don't have any desire at all to be with any other woman. Why? Because I love Kathy more than I love myself. If I'm on business trips and I'm alone, and I've had it happen to me, it's pretty common when you go on it, um, ask anybody who's been on trail, women approach you. Okay? And the reason I don't have the slightest inherent desire on this, on the most basic level, is I love Kathy too much. It's got nothing to do with my physical state, my loneliness, my whatever, the attractiveness. That is irrelevant to me. The issue is my love for Kath keeps me safe. And that is on a very narrow level when you're coming into your personal life. What will keep you from sinning is when you love God more. And that is can only do when that is your motive and when you are rooted in him. A fourth characteristic of love is gratitude and joy. Abounding in thanksgiving. And I think this is something which we forget. It is very easy in days of challenge, etc. But when you are rooted in Christ, one of the things that starts to be released in your life is gratitude and joy. Joy is not happiness. The Bible does not say, like the American Constitution, pursue happiness. It doesn't. Jesus bore with joy the cross. He wasn't pursuing happiness that day. Okay? He was doing it for joy. Why? Because joy is when you realize that you are involved in something far greater than yourself. And your life has meaning and purpose and is covered by the grace of God, you are able to make decisions that no other person can make. Ones that may imply great self-sacrifice and endurance, but you can do it with joy because you know God loves you. And because you are motivated by that. Joy is incredibly evident as part of what will come out. And if you find you are lacking joy in any area of your life, the basic advice is just simply this. Get rooted in Christ Spend time with them, pray for the Holy Spirit, and you will find that it comes. Two aspects I want to mention in terms of Scripture that um, are also mentioned around rooting, which is quite different from what I've mentioned now before. And the Bible in the New Testament refers to two areas that we need to be diligent about uprooting. So it emphasizes very much the root of Christ. But there's two areas that highlights about uprooting. The scriptures, and we, we won't um, go there, but the two scriptures, if you're taking notes, it's in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 and in Hebrews 12 12. There's a block of scripture that I'm going to refer to. The 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 refers to, um, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after, have been led astray from the faith and have pierced themselves through or encountered many sorrows as a result. Money is always a touchy point to make. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It doesn't 
talk about that at all. In fact, quite on the contrary, it sees it as very positive. But when we become consumed with money, it is a great danger. But actually what the Bible, I think, here is actually talking about typically is actually below the surface. It's not money as an object. It is the power and control that money brings you. And I, I, I have a very good friend who's head of one of the largest international companies of South Africa. He, he lives in Belgium. Phenomenal guy in every level. But he had a call on his life that was extraordinary. There was a thing God had laid hold of him as a young man. And he became and has become incredibly senior in this company. And he is just not interested in any way at all in Christ or in anything else like that. His heart has been turned. Why? Because his identity has shifted from being an identity in Christ to an identity that his corporate success has given him. And it ultimately boils down on power and control. And this is a very difficult thing, particularly for men, because power and control is what it's actually ultimately all about. How much of our status is marked as men by what we earn? If we are earning 100,000, 200,000, 50,000, or 24,000, we have some sense of grading as to our importance. The other thing of it is that if I have money, I have control. I don't have to listen to anybody. I can do what I like. I have independence. I may even feel that as a big earner, I am more important to the church than the person who is a little earner. Money can corrupt you, not in itself, but the power and control that brings on there is the, is the thing to really watch for. We all want to have control. And in any area in your life where you feel that you have control or you think you have power is a root that can substitute your relationship for Christ. And you need to deal with it ruthlessly. The way to deal with this in this particular aspect I'm talking about now, is for you to realize that the work you have has nothing to do with you. It is part of God's provision for you. When you understand that what you do and you do well is God's provision in your life, you'll find your attitude towards your work will change. And then it's not about you. It's God, thank you for giving me the work that I have. Thank you for giving the work I have. And you have to stay in that place. The second route that is mentioned, which is Hebrews 12, is follow peace with all and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently lest any fall of the grace of God or lest any root of bitterness springs up in between you and by which many are defiled or corrupted. The root of bitterness. When we are going through this time of change, we really do have to watch that certain roots of bitterness don't creep in. Roots of bitterness creep in most, corrupt, most corruptingly on the area of relationships. Money tends to be an external thing and about control. But the root of bitterness can creep into any situation and it attacks at the heart of what our church is. Because our church is about people and relationships and the maintaining of them. If a root of bitterness creeps in, it undermines the church because it comes to divide people. And that's why Paul calls us out so specifically. 
There's a book which I absolutely adore. It's meant to be a children's book, but it's not, called The Little Prince. And in The Little Prince, he has his own little uh, planet. It's a little planet. It takes him less than a day to walk all the way around. And when he's asked about his planet, he says, well, it's very easy, and I love my little planet, and it's nice, etc. but I have one thing I have to do. Within the planet are roots of baobab trees. And he says, if I allow the baobab trees to grow beyond a certain point, I can hardly get rid of them. And so his little daily chore that he does is he walks around his planet with a little fork and removes all the roots of the baobab trees. And he says over there, he says, it's not difficult, but you have to be very diligent in doing it. We have to keep a clean slate in our lives. Do not allow any form of bitterness to crop up within each of us. One of the reasons I love communion, and we're going to have communion just after this, is that it is the time where you have to get honest before God. And it's between you and God. The Bible says that you cannot go to the altar with any issue between you and your brother. You can't go there. If you go there, you bring condemnation on yourself. Because you're abusing the grace of God. One of the reasons communion is so excellent is because you have to get honest. You have to sit down and go and say, and I'm sorry, or whoever, I'm sorry. So that you can enjoy the communion of Christ. That is the integrity that God wants us. It's the reason the early church, I believe in part, continuously broke bread. They were keeping a clean slate between themselves. We need to do a daily commune with God. We need to abide in Jesus daily to keep the slate clean. It's the hardest thing to do. (laughs) Being married for a while, it's the hardest thing to do. I am still amazed, truly amazed, at my own state of anger and sin sometimes that comes out of my mouth and out of what I do. I am never, ever comfortable or ever feel that I can ever relax in this area. I have to be diligent continuously to keep the slate clean. Do not allow a root of bitterness to crop up within you because you may think you can sweep it under the carpet. You can't. And the reason you can't is it'll get into your soul. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll come in between you and Christ and ultimately between you and other people. And one day you'll wake up and you'll realize that you're a miserable old goat and you desperately need to get on your knees and repent. And you know what? When a root is in there, To deal with it is far harder than when you deal with it up front. Be diligent to remove the roots of bitterness in there. Today, the Bible says, go and make right with people. Don't wait for that. A point, a final point on this. Like love, forgiveness is from God. We can put ourselves into a position to love others. We can put ourselves into a position to forgive others. But you need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to come and forgive. Because otherwise you can forgive in word and in intention, but it will stay in your mind and it will stay in your heart and it will stay in your memory and in your attitude towards others. If you want to see true forgiveness happen, you have to say, Jesus, I can't forgive. Come, I'm here now. Forgive through me. 
And the promise he has for you is that when you truly open yourself to him, he will come through the power of the Holy Spirit and create forgiveness as if it was not there. But you need him to apply forgiveness. Again, you can say, I've forgiven them and I've moved on. And you know in your heart you haven't. If you need to move on in any area of forgiveness in your life, you need to get on and say, Christ, who I am rooted in, help me to forgive because I cannot do it myself. If you think you can forgive in your own strength, you are arrogant and you will fail. Like you cannot love in your own strength. You need Jesus to do that for you. That is why we have to be rooted in Christ. No root, no fruit. So finally, just in conclusion, I want to just highlight two things. From 2 Timothy, and, I don't, and don't, again, don't go there. I believe 2 Timothy is a very key book for us as a church over this time. It seems not only to be for us, but for many churches as well. 2 Timothy, is, as, as many of you know, is Paul's last letter to the church. It's his last letter to Timothy. It's the last one he wrote before he died. And I always think about what I would write as my last letter before I knew that I was going to have my head chopped off the next day. It's what he wants to leave as the lasting thoughts to impart to someone who he regarded as being his son. And in 2 Timothy 2 verse 20, um, again, don't turn there. It says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anybody cleanses themselves or purges themselves, they will become a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the Lord, prepared to be used in every good work. We are those vessels of honor or dishonor. That is who we are. In our lives, we have different things which are vessels that are of honor and dishonor. The call that Paul is making and the call that God is making to us is to cleanse the areas of dishonor in our lives. That we might serve him completely. In in, in, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, Paul goes on in a a burst. He says, Timothy, um, fulfill your ministry as as it's often translated. Again, if we look at the wording that's in there, it's actually closer to this. Consolidate, confirm, affirm your diakonos or your service. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, you need to serve the body. Do everything in your power to make sure that you serve. It is not about calling and ministry from my perspective. It is everything about he who is calling you. The calling is not my calling. It is his calling to me to serve the body. That is the right view. And if we are to be rooted in Christ, we need to change from a position where we say it is about what I must do. No. It is about what he requires me to do. We are called to serve. We are not called to find out our gifting and pursue all of those type of things. Serve, be grafted in, be rooted in Christ, and the rest will follow. 
Fruit will come. But it will only come if we are rooted in Christ first.